Okay, so I left you on a cliffhanger last week. Glad to see a lot of you came back. Uh, I'm going to do a quick recap, and then and then we'll we'll jump in. So uh, we've been on this is week three now uh, of this series on sonship and identity and and who are we in Christ. Uh, and specifically last week, I, I talked about kind of seeding this, like the use the analogy of like a garden bed, how you put different layers of soil that will then uh, support the growth. Uh, of the plant, and uh, in the analogy, uh, the I, I, I made the premise at the beginning of last week that uh, part of our, our identity is deeply attached to our dreams. Uh, Abraham was a father of many nations. He was given a dream from God to have a, a multitude of gener- uh, of a legacy, and uh, his name was the father of many nations. And uh, Moses, his name meant to draw out, and he was used as a deliverer to draw Israel out of Egypt. And so. Our name and our identity is deeply attached to our dream. And so, therefore, as the people of God, uh, we need to dream and dream boldly, the dream that God has for our life. And uh, I talked about three kind of layers of soil that will, pre- that will support that plant. Uh, and last week I talked about two. Uh, what were they? Anybody? What was the first one? I must have preached really terrible. Qualified. You're qualified. Thank you, Kelly or McKinsey, whoever said that. And the second one was, you're perfect for God. He's no respecter of persons. So if you weren't here last week, it's online. You can listen to it. I'm, I'm hoping that tonight will still make sense uh, in light of this. Um, and, and yes, we're qualified by the blood of Jesus, and he's no respecter of persons. So uh, um, begin to build an argument that, uh, that why not why not us? Um, our, our petty insecurities and inadequacies and the things that we like to present of why God can't use us, they fall flat in face of the blood and the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, he's qualified us, and he's no respecter of persons. So he's uh, looking for a willing vessel, not a, uh, an amazing, perfect one. He uses the weak to lead the strong. Um, I also share that those, those, those truths are powerful, but they were not enough for me to truly believe that God would use me to do something great with my life. Uh, both of those beliefs helped me believe, they liberated me to, to, to truly believe that God could use me, but they didn't convince me that God would use me. Has anybody ever wrestled in that dilemma? I believe God can use me, but how do I know he will? And I was very much uh, in that dilemma. I heard uh, many people, amazing preachers, other people, you know, saying, oh, I'm, I'm nobody special. If God can use me, he can use you. I heard those sentiments, but I did not truly believe them in a deep place. Uh, there was still a very deep wrestling uh, going on within me. And uh, my wrestling match basically was kind of tottered between these two places. The first uh, was I've always had, as long as honestly I can remember, a deep fear of mediocrity. Uh, I, I despise mediocrity. And I remember as a small child, l- literally always being driven by this sense of, I do not want mediocrity for my life. And so that was one side of this dynamic. And then the, the flip side was as you begin walking with God and becoming, you know, you want to be a devout Christian, you realize pretty quick that, you know, it's like the last shall be first. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You know, the greatest is the servant. There's this whole thing of humility. Is that ringing a bell? So you're like, who am I to, to 
be able to dream and, and desire something that I haven't seen. Is that making sense? Uh, I was raised just in a, in a way that church through my, through my childhood, and this isn't any projection on any of the churches that I went to, but I was very uninspired by what I had experienced from Christianity. For about five years, I had people that began coming and telling me, you have a call and anointing to preach the gospel. It started when I was about 18, and so maybe about four years, 17 or 18 to probably about 22. I had people telling me at least a couple times a year, strangers most often, I think you're called to preach the gospel. I had a number of pastors tell me this. And every time I was like, no, sorry, it wasn't like, wasn't like I thought that was a bad thing. It was just very, very uninspiring for me. And it would actually tinge every time they'd say that. It would pull on that, uh, that, that deep fear of mediocrity. Um, it was because I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I didn't know how, how, if I give into this thing, how do I know that it would meet the need for this greatness that I feel? But then how can I express that before God? So I just felt stuck in this tension, in this dilemma of not knowing how to dream boldly, of not knowing how to believe for greatness. I knew God could use me because I'd seen other people he'd use, but I didn't know that he would. And I sure didn't know if I was allowed to ask for that or believe for that or dream from that. Does anybody resonate with this? Okay. Um, I remember, like, and it was, it's hard for me to truly like capture the agony. Like this was agony. I remember uh, I was in uh, Israel. I was in a rooftop in Tiberias, Israel, looking out over the Sea of Galilee, and I read Romans 9. For those of you that aren't familiar with that, it's like the most confusing passage in the Bible. Even theologians shy away from it, and it's like, you know, God's like, who are you to say to the, the maker what kind of vessel I make, and it's this whole thing of like, like, I made you how you are, and that's it. You don't get a say back to me, this very much uh, language around sovereignty of God. And I literally remember sitting on the rooftop, almost sick to my stomach, reading this chapter, going like, like, have you just made me for mediocrity? Like, is that, is that it? Like, what if I'm not a vessel for honorable use? What if I'm not a vessel for greatness? What if I'm just a vessel for just kind of average Joe Christianity? And I, and I, like, it was devout. I, it was true. Like, I didn't know the answer. I didn't know how to get out of this wrestling match. I'm scared to death of mediocrity, but I'm scared to death of exalting myself in a prideful way before you. I did not know what to do. And... Where this came from, as I can look back retrospectively and, and kind of glean, um, as I learned that there's a, there's a truth that is, uh, it is a very accurate description of the world that we live in. And for anybody that's done any, stu- in any business, if you, business degree or economics or anything like that, um, you'll, you'll, you'll have learned this very early on in your education, uh, which is the principle of scarcity. Um, our whole world is governed by a law of scarcity. Our entire economic system is governed by a law of scarcity, which basically says that um, this group of people has something that this group of people doesn't have but wants, and so they'll have this trade of goods or resources to get these resources that are scarce here over there. Does that make sense? Like the Middle East and oil, right? There's only so much oil. There's certain people that have the oil, and that's what governs the prices and the inflations, right? And that's like true across the board in life, right? There's a scarcity of resources, and so it creates this movement, and it creates this global economy. Um, I learned this in a way that was pertinent to me growing up because my whole life, 
my dream, well, not my whole life, but probably I wanted to be a professional basketball player when I was a little kid. Then I realized I suffered from a disease called Caucasian, and I switched sports. <laughs> I switched to golf. <laughs> I was smart, right? And uh, about nine years old, I just kind of targeted in uh, on, on the sport of golf, and I became very successful at it, and my whole life was very much on this track that I want to be a professional athlete, I want to be a professional golfer, and uh, I had accolades, I had a measure of success, um, but I learned very early on, probably as a, you know, a young teenager, maybe not even a teenager, that there is a scarcity of what it is that I wanted. Right? At any given time, there's probably a couple hundred thousand, maybe these days, maybe a million people that truly want that dream. Right? But at any given time on the PGA Tour, there's about 125 to maybe 225 people tops that have a PGA Tour card. Right? You kind of kick that into your calculator, and you recognize pretty quick there's a huge scarcity of that resource. You following me? Um, and I lived in the weight of that for uh, probably nearly a decade of my life, uh, always with that hanging over me, knowing there's only, there's only so much pie. There's only so many slices of pie, and I got to figure out how I'm going to get one of those, right? And it, and it created a lot of, I don't know if insecurity is the right word, but it, it created a lot of the, the feelings of just like, fragility, right? You're always kind of in this striving, doggy dog. I need to I need to make sure, I need to find some sort of way to convince myself that I have what it takes to get what all these other people want, but I'm going to get a slice somehow, right? So it creates this mentality uh, that is very much governed by the world we live in, which is of scarcity. And uh, golf, um, most of you know, I'm not a professional golfer, so uh, it didn't work out. But uh, uh, God started stripping it from me. It was an idol in my life, and that's a whole other message probably. But started stripping it, and in the stripping process, had an identity crisis, started trying to figure out who I am, and uh, I got very passionate for the Lord. And, uh, and he found me in a very broken place, and I began kind of transferring a lot of my same mindsets to the Lord. And as time progressed and he began calling me into more of like a vocational ministry setting with the church, which is about the last thing I ever wanted to do, um, I was just never on my mindset, the same mindset started shifting. And I found myself would look out and kind of, kind of like analyze the scope of, you know, the church world. And you're like, wow, like, okay, I don't just want to be like a pastor like, I want to be a great preacher. Like, I want, to, I want to fulfill this deep desire for greatness within me. But I look out, and it's like, well, you know, I can see, like, those people did amazing things. That prayer, I could read history. And you start seeing, right, like, there seems to be this scarcity again, right? And then I'm in this dichotomy of, like, okay, there's this scarcity of people that seem to have the slice of pie. Then there's a lot of other people that are godly people that they don't, it doesn't inspire me necessarily. And again, I just find myself in this, this like, what do I do here? What do I do in this place? How do I dream? How do I dream for that, for greatness, in such a way that I don't exalt myself out of comparison and judgment to everything else? Are you following me? It's a very, very uncomfortable place to navigate. Again, when you're, you're, 
claiming to profess faith in Jesus Christ, who is the slain lamb of God on a cross, right? Like, this is not a gospel of self-promotion. This is not a gospel of, you know, go and build your own empire. It's the opposite, right? You lose your life to find it. And was very trapped in this place. And uh, the breakthrough came for me, and, and we'll read this Ephesians passage in a sec. But I, I was wrestling, and, and it's, I, I don't, it's not, it's, I can, I feel like I'm doing an injustice to really say the depth of the wrestling. It was a number of years traveling all over the world, going to places on like a rampage. Like, God, I need to know. Like, I can't be stuck in this place my whole life. It's hell. It's miserable. And uh, the Lord broke it. One day he came and, and, and really convicted me, and it was like a wall came down in my mind. And he liberated my thinking, and he gave me a new perspective to begin to review the same circumstances in a very different way. And it liberated me to finally begin believing that not God would just could use me, but that he desired to and that he will. And it was when I realized that, yes, we live in a world that is governed by scarcity, but we do not live in a kingdom that's governed by scarcity. There's no scarcity in God's kingdom. It's a kingdom of abundance, and each individual human being, child of God, has fullness attached to his or her life. John 1.16 says, from his grace we've received, or from his fullness we've all received, grace upon grace. Ephesians 3, this is some of my favorite verses in the Bible. We're going to read 3.19 and 20. It says, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly begin beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. The Amplified says, greater and more abundant than anything you would dare to dream. That's like the Greek. <laughs> right? And I was convicted that I was operating like an orphan. I was convicted that this whole mindset that there's only like so many slices of pie and just a few get the piece is not the kingdom of God. It's not how he thinks. It's not how he operates. Right? Bill Johnson says that once you determine who you are, once you discover who you truly are, there's no one else on earth you'd ever want to be. I love that because when I first heard it, I was on the other side of the paradigm and I was like, I hate that. How can you say that? There's some people that have the pie. There's some people that don't have the pie. How can you say that? There's only so much. And on the journey of just the, it was like, God's like, no, no, no. Once you figure out who you are, there's no one else on earth you would ever, 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 ever want to be. Because the calling on your, God, on your life is great and it's for greatness because you were birthed and handmade by God and created in his image and he doesn't do anything half-hearted he doesn't do anything that does not reflect himself and everything he is is glorious and so to think that somehow there's a scarcity of powerful callings is ridiculous to God Right? And I believe that in God's economy, like in the system of the world, there's the people with and there's the people without. And it just is like that because it's broken. But in the economy of God, 
every, there's room for every single human being alive to be powerful and deeply significant. Deeply significant. And what this means is that we actually aren't just, it's not like a cherry on top to believe for greatness with God. It's a responsibility. It's a responsibility that you have because you're made in his image. You're doing him a disservice. You're doing your father a disservice if you settle for mediocrity. You're not helping him. You're not, your, your sense of like this, I'm being so humble, is not helping him. All right, it's like that quote, you know, what is your deepest fear? It's not that you're powerless and insignificant. It's that you're powerful beyond measure. Who are you not to shine? Who are you not to be great? You're made in his image. You're made just like him. Right? No father has their child and is like, yeah, I hope they are all right one day. You know, they look at their child and they want them to go further and to do more and to do greater than anything they'd ever done. And we'd be, we'd be doing our father in heaven a huge disservice to attribute any other type of thinking to him. Right? And we got to get this, this shift made because when I was in poverty mindset, I viewed, I viewed dreaming, I viewed the attainment of my own individual significance and the greatness that God has for my life. I viewed it as I was getting pie that was mean that someone else wasn't. So it felt like I was exalting myself over another because there's just a scarcity. Like only, only a few can get there. Right? And then when the walls came down, I started realizing that, no, I actually, I actually have to do this because my own fulfillment of my own destiny is actually going to be benefiting to each one of you. And each one of yours is going to be benefiting to me because we're not independent orphans all just trying to scrap and scrounge to get ourselves by and survive through this life. We are an interdependent body of Christ that are all one. Learning to be children of God who are all sharing in the same eternal and infinite inheritance that comes down from the Father of lights without variation or shifting shadow. So it's not just like, oh, I'm doing this. My own fulfillment is, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm exalted. No, it's actually I have to do this for the sake of the ones that God's called me to influence. Right? That goes back to the favor like a couple months ago. Why does God give us favor? It's to benefit those around us. It's to benefit the least of these. And when we start realizing that we're in this together and we are all going after this together and one person's fulfillment is not, it's like we, we get this. And I know each one of us have felt this at some point in their life. Someone around them is doing great and is shining and you immediately start feeling threatened. So it's like, oh, I guess there's just a little less out there for me to get now. Like, that, that, that is, that's a people's emotional responses. That might not be your conscious thought, but that's the emotional responses. I've had it. I know you've had it. Oh, guess they took another slice of pie. There must be less now. Right? And we get into these funks, and it's like we don't know how to really dream because then pride gets in the way, and it's selfish, and it's, there's just this infusion, and we think that we're just stuck in this rut. But the reality is that from his grace, we've all received fullness. He wants us to receive his fullness. He has fullness attached. He has a powerful calling attached. He has an identity that is significant beyond anything that we can imagine. We are formed in his image, and we were made to do something that will not just impact this life. It will impact eternity. 
right? No child is born with a mediocre dream because we have God inside of us. No child's like, I hope to, you know, have a good nine to five job that pays me just enough to pay my bills and maybe take my wife and kids on a vacation once a year. There's no dreams like that. There's no such thing as mediocre dreams because dreams are attached to our identity and our identities are the furthest thing from mediocre that we could ever imagine. So we have to start dreaming and dreaming boldly and start finding the greatness and expressing it in prayer to God. We have permission to dream. Sometimes I think we come to God in prayers and we ask him for things and we ask from the place of sensibility and reasonable. I'm going to ask reasonable requests to God. And the Lord's like, where did you read in the Bible and get reasonable from? <laughs> There's like nothing reasonable about the Bible. Like it's like resurrecting from the dead, walking on waters, the sea splitting, angels coming, food multiplying, blind eyes opening. Where are you getting reasonable prayer requests from? He's not like, ask me really sensible prayer requests, then I'll think about fulfilling them. He's inviting and giving us permission. Ask me from the place of dreaming. Ask me from the place of the passion in your heart of what you were created to do. Express that to me. Pray it to me. Sing it to me. This is what you were made to do. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him to righteousness. It said he didn't, have, he didn't waver in faith when he grew old and Sarah grew old and was barren. But he kept growing in faith as he gave praise to God. And what happens when we believe God and we do this and we engage it is the creative faculty within us is activated and we, and, and we start co-laboring with God. And there's something, it's, it's not physical, we don't understand how it works, but you believe and there's this thing inside you that starts churning. And when you catch on to the greatness, when you catch on to that, and I'm praying attached to your identity, you come alive and I don't see it, but I see it and I'm singing it and I'm praising it and you start creating with God because his words become worlds and where his words come and sit are in the good soil of your heart but we've got to be at this place I'm qualified I'm enough I'm perfect for God what's the third point just flipped out of my mind. That's what I'm preaching on. There's fullness attached to your life. Come on, nobody's paying attention. You're, you're qualified. There's fullness. You're perfect. What, what excuse for not dreaming do you have? I need a drink. I want to bring a little clarification between Greatness and fame, because they're not synonymous. The world is so impressed with fame, but God is impressed with, and, but God has given us the desire for greatness. And they're, they're, they're not always the same. Sometimes a great man or a great woman has a sense of fame, but I would say that fame is a cross that some have to bear. Isolation is a cross that others have to bear. Hiddenness, you know, is something that people have to bear, but it's a cross. It's not about people. Fulfilling your call has nothing to do with people. That's secondary. That's consequential. Fulfilling your calling has to do between you and the Lord. And it's about impacting eternity, not just this life. 
And the best dynamic example I can give of this is there's two women that have had uh, the deepest impact on my life. Uh, one is my mother, who very few people on planet Earth know. I mean, maybe a few thousand. You know, she's got a lot of friends. Uh, but she's impacted me in a way that very few uh, have and very few ever will. And poured into my life. And where I've seen her go in the hidden places and the recesses of her pain are, are, are beyond what I... I know how to express. Her life is a living miracle. She should be a drug addict and so lost and far from God that it's unimaginable. If you'd heard her story, you would say, how? You're a living miracle. And she is. And she's impacted my life amazing low. And she is not famous. Right? And the other person that's probably impacted my life, the other woman, would be Heidi Baker, who millions of people know. Right? But that doesn't make her greater. That's just her being faithful to her call, right? And my mother's been faithful to her call. And I promise you that the faithfulness isn't different. It's just a different call. But I promise you that in this life, we easy to say, that's the great one, that's the okay one. But that's not how God works. Because God's looking at eternity, right? And, and we want to make an impact that changes that world, and I was telling somebody this the other day, we started in a garden and we're ending in a city, right? We started in a place called Eden and we're ending in a city called the heavenly Jerusalem. What's the difference between a city and a garden? Bunch of stuff that people make. Do you ever think that things that you create in this life will pass into that one? says the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now. Do you ever think that what you're doing now is actually impacting that world and that life? Jesus' name is the son of David. He will eternally be identified to a man named David. Because what David did it impacted eternity. Right? I believe that you can impact this world greatly and not even leave a dent on eternity. And when we get there in the courts above, we'll see more clearly what greatness looks like. Sometimes we lack discernment. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we lack discernment. So what I'm all I'm saying in all of this is I'm not advocating believe for a for a famous call on your life. Cuz you'd get there and it'd be a cross to bear and you'd be like I thought this was going to be cool. Everybody that's there is like this is hard, right? Everybody has a different cross to bear. That's not what we're like aiming for. What we're aiming for is greatness. I want to impact eternity. I want to change. I want to change eternity. God, I want to impact people that impact people, that impact generations. I don't care if they know my name. I just want to be used. Right? That's the call of human beings. I want to I want to extend beyond I've been given these 80 years and God's like in these 80 years or however many years you have, he's put the potential on you to impact Eternity. <laughs> That's a really awesome opportunity. And why I fear mediocrity is because I don't want to get there and for all eternity have to, have to accept at some point that I cut, it, I, I cut it short. I took a shortcut. And I missed this eternal reward. Now, it's perfect, right? But one of the, like, I, had a, I had a moment 
deep in, in my pain and back in my days, and the Lord kept saying, suffer well, suffer well. And, and it was so hard, and I didn't want to keep going. I wanted to medicate. I wanted to give up. I didn't have any hope. I didn't have any vision. The Lord said, suffer well, suffer well, son. And finally, I just screamed at him one night. I said, fine, I'll suffer well, but this is what you give to me. I said, all I want is this, the day I die, when I close my eyes and I breathe my last breath, I just want to be able to look at you and say, I gave everything in this life. I said, if you make that promise with me, I'll go wherever you ask me, I'll do whatever you tell me, and I will go the distance. And I've been true to it, to the best of my ability. And that is, that's the call of everyone. We are not made for mediocrity. We are made to dream for greatness and to believe for greatness. Amen? So I'm not going to stop there. I actually want to get into the process of what this dreaming looks like. Because I've preached this before, and um, I listen to what people tell me afterwards. Say, that a lot of times people say, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what my dream is. I don't know what my dream is. I don't have my dream. I haven't had this experience where God's given me the dream. I don't know what my dream is. And that's fair. And I think sometimes we're looking for something way too big in the sense of, like, like it needs to be real yet. It's a mustard seed is how it all starts. And I just want to share a little bit because I think that there's mustard seeds that each one of us have that we haven't fully clenched onto in faith. So I, I quoted the Romans 4 passage, Abraham believed God um, with unwavering faith. And, and another one that I love, another uh, woman of faith in the Bible is Mary. And, you know, I just kind of want to, a lot of times when we hear other people talk about their dreams, we're like, that's so cool. And we fail to recognize the, 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 the cost and the vulnerability of what they're saying in believing this. The vulnerability of letting yourself hope fully in an impossible dream that only God can fulfill. That is a powerless, vulnerable situation. Right? And Mary gets Gabriel and says, you're going to have the Son of God, and you're a virgin. Right? And we look back retrospectively, we're like, that's awesome. You are Jesus' mom. But we fail to recognize the social shame the outcast she must have felt. She was probably called and rumored to be an immoral woman throughout her whole life. Because, oh yeah, God got me pregnant. I swear. I swear. No, I swear. We didn't, there, no, wasn't fooling around. I swear, it was Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit, right? Like, who would believe that? Right? The promise cost her right and it talks about the good soil it says there's the rocky soil that the word goes in immediately springs up and then when persecution comes it withers away because there's no root in itself then it says that the good soil bears fruit with perseverance right the words come the promise comes the mustard seeds come but they get tested and they get tried and we get it's like we get impregnated right i'm preaching on sonship but you're getting impregnated right it's just getting weird in here all the men are like, I thought this was Father's Day. <laughs> Just bear with me. Okay. The seed comes. It gets tested. And Mary, think of the cost. Think of how ridiculous she would have felt hoping that growing in my belly is the Son of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Do you know how ridiculous that is? 
you know how stupid of a feeling she had to feel believing that? And then the days when she's pointed at and she gets the looks and she gets the slander, and it's costly. It's isolating her. It's, it's uncomfortable. Then she bears the Son of God, and then, you know, it says a sword pierces her own soul. She gets prophesied that from Simeon when he's a little boy, and then he, he dies and he's crucified, right? Like, she, it, it costs her everything. That's what I'm trying to say. And we look back, we're like, that's amazing. Mother Mary, yeah. Whew, Hail Mary. She's so cool. And we don't recognize the humanity and the vulnerability of what it means to get that creative faculty just cooking inside you. But when she gets this word, she says something that's profound. She says, be it unto me according to your word. In other words, and it says she treasured these things in her heart. There's this passage, I believe it's Luke 18, talking about the unrighteous judge and the widows going. And at the end of it, there's this sentiment that Jesus expresses that I just think is like, it's like this moment of vulnerability where he just sheds his heart. He says, but when the Son of Man returns to the earth, will he find faith? Will he find faith? And it's like Jesus saying, like, like will my people believe? Will they believe me at my word? And I just, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to, to share. I'm going to bring you into my journey right now. And I'm going to bring you into my, my vulnerability. Because I want to inspire you. And I want to activate yours. And I feel like God's going to activate things in this time. Because it's time to be a people that are marked by dreams. It's time to know one another for the dream of God on each other's life. Not just for the stuff that you've done. I'm tired of accountability relationships just being about their sin and your stumbles. And not about the ability of the dream that God has on your life. I want to know you more for the dream and for your future and what God says than for what your past says. Right? But we got to be vulnerable. we got to be vulnerable enough to hope and then confess it. Right? So here you go. Um, I, I, you know, I went on this identity crisis, and, and I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know what to dream. I told you these things. But the day that a lot of this shifted uh, was because Heidi Baker, uh, I had two dreams. I've told you this, and she prophesied over me. I've shared with this with some of you. She prophesied over me. She said, you're a soul winner, and you're gonna be, I see you speaking to hundreds of thousands of people. She said, I know because it's the same call on my life. In the moment, you're like, woo, oh, yeah. Yeah, right? You're like, this is amazing. Right? And I can promise you, I treasured that in my heart because for four years I'd been crying out almost night and day. I had to be bothering the heck out of God. Tell me who I am. Tell me who I am. Tell me who I am. There were days, even while I was there in Africa, they'd be doing ministry and I'd start weeping, just saying, I need to know who I am. Tell me who I am. I don't know who I am. I don't know how called I am. I don't know what you've called me to do. And then this day, I get this word and it changed my whole life and I treasured it in my heart and I believed. I believed like I'd never believed anything in my whole life. And I didn't know that in a few short weeks, I was coming back to America, and God was calling me to my own hometown, to my own family, to my own relatives, and sitting me in the back room of a little church to do a ministry when nobody came to. And I was preaching to three people. <laughs> but I believed. 
I believed and I, I, would, I, would, I would pray, I would pray. I was a captive. I was captive to hope at that point. I had nowhere to go because I believed, because I knew it was God. It was either God or I didn't know who this God was. And I knew it was God and I believed and I believed and I believed. And I would go in there and I believed and I would sing it to him. I would pray it to him. This is what you tell me I am. This is, this is who you are. This is what I want to be. And I just, that was my whole life. It's been my whole life just, okay, I'm going to believe this seed and I'm going to see it go to full term. And I'm going to see this baby delivered in my life. And I'm going to watch it. I'm going to see the promises of God. And this is one of the things I think you know when you start believing the promise of God. This is like the fruit of that belief. Is you will begin sacrificing your comforts. You'll begin sacrificing things in the present of what you can see for the promise that you can't see. And there'd be nights. I remember one night I was driving. I was driving through the night to go visit my mom in California. Late at night. There were no cars around me. I was in the middle of nowhere. And the Lord said, I want you to start worshiping me. He said, I want you to look out, look out into this darkness. He said, see the faces and begin thanking me for what I'm going to do through your life. And I began thanking him. And I, at first I felt stupid. And then I just kept doing it. And then I started singing. And I just get it. And it just the more I went, then I, I could see him. And I just started weeping, just praising God. Thank you. Thank you for using me to do this. This is your word. And I'm just, just prophesying it to myself to myself. Some of the most powerful moments I've had with the Lord is when I take his promises and I speak them and I treat them as if they're real. And I thank him in advance. Right? And the Lord starts orienting your life. No, if you believe this is real, you don't do this. If you believe this is true, you wouldn't invest time here. If you believe this is true, you wouldn't. You see what I'm saying? He starts saying, if you believe, you'll start living your life of what you can see different for what you can't see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Thank you, dude. You got my back. Are you following me? The good soils with perseverance, you bear the word. Right? I believed, I believed, I believed, but I still didn't know how. This is the, it was very vulnerable. Right, and the reason I'm sharing all this is because it's still very vulnerable. But I believed. I don't know how. It's impossible. I can't make it happen. I can't go do that. I can't go create that. How am I supposed to do it? can't. Right, but I believed. And then the Lord, uh, the Lord, uh, you know, I may have told the story. The ministry that I was at started growing. Right? And you're like, oh, this is exciting. Like, at least like a couple hundred people are coming to hear me preach. Like, that's better than three. Right? That's giving me some excitement. When you go from three to 200, let me tell you, you feel good about yourself. Are you following me? And then the Lord says, I want you to give it away. And I gave it away a year ago. And last summer was probably one of the most vulnerable places of my whole life. I had no job. I had no money. I had no favor. I had nothing. I didn't know what I, and I was going to go plant a church in Boise. Right? It's not, it was a very, very vulnerable place. Like, I, I, don't know, I don't know how else to say that. It was just, I felt very vulnerable, very weak, very small, right? And in that place, this is four years now, I've been believing. You know, I show up on a plane to India, and I meet Jake and John there. Just supposed to, like, basically have some fun and meet some of the orphan children. And God starts showing up and healing people. And I'm like, this is crazy, Right, and we had this, you know, you've heard the story, I'm not going to go into it, but we saw, saw everything, the people, 
packed in, and I'm just like, this is the craziest thing. What's going on right now, Lord? I'm not coming from a good place. I'm at a weak place right now. I start seeing God's power move, and the next day I sit down with the pastor. So we've never seen anything like this. We've been, there's been a, a, an evangelist coming from America for a couple decades who died a year and a half ago doing big crusade meetings with hundreds of thousands of people. Said, and we've been praying that God would send someone. Will you please come back and do this meeting? And in that moment, I was like, what the heck? What the heck? How? You know, and I'm sharing this right now because we're about a month from going to do that meeting. Right? And it's not the fulfillment of everything that God's told me. But it's a huge first step. And I'm saying this simply to say is that when you believe, you don't create it with your works. He creates it through your faith. All he asks you to do is just believe and to begin acting on the promises and prophesying it and encouraging yourself and believing those words. And he makes the promises happen. He creates something out of nothing. He will do miracles. He will open doors. He will put things together. He will write stories that we could never write, but he won't do it unless we are churning. Unless this faculty inside of us is on. Without vision, my people perish. It starts with a little mustard seed. Just a little mustard seed. That's all it takes. But you got to receive it. Be unto me according to your word. I'm going to treasure this. I'm going to make this. I'm going to make this my life's fascination. Is this promise. Amen? When we get into that posture, that place... We empower him to do the impossible. So um, the worship team is going to come up. You guys can come up. And uh, I've been kind of debating with the Lord what to do right now. All day. Because some messages I feel like demand a response. Or at least position themselves for a response. And I want to create space for a response. But the response is this. I just feel like the Lord was speaking to me early, and it's time for no more doubting. Will God use me? Yes. Yes. It's time to start stop looking at our others in comparison and, and comparing all the other things that we see and say, well, yeah, but what about them? What about them? It doesn't matter about them. It's about you. You're a son or a daughter of Jesus. It's time to believe. There's no more doubting. It's time to own who you are. It's time to say, Lord, I'm ready to believe the mustard seed. It said, Lord, I'm ready to treasure anything that you tell me. It's just time to just receive it. It's time to stop making excuses for why not you, for what you've done. You are qualified. He is not a respecter of persons, and there's fullness attached to your life. And dang it, I'm just ready. Like, let's believe it. Let's believe it. And I promise you that, you know, it's just, it, this is just the beginning. He's just bringing us together. This is just the beginning, right? And I believe people are going to India. And you know what I said? That the fulfillment of your own dream and your own vision, it impacts other people. Right? There's 23 of you coming to India. It's going to impact you. And I hope that it impacts you to go fulfill your dream. And when you fulfill your dream, it will impact them. It will impact them. And it's a spontaneous reaction of people saying, why not? If God can use them, he can use me. If God can use me, this broken little boy that he found and called out of the pit of despair, he can use you. 
I don't care what you say. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you've done. If he can use me to heal people, he can use you. If he can use me to do this, he can use you. And I don't want to just, oh, go there myself and be, I want to live in a people. My dream, I've told people for years, my dream is just to be in a community of people that are getting empowered by the Spirit of God and fulfilling their dreams in such a mighty way that people just come in and they say, I'm so inspired. I've never felt hope like this before. Who are these people? The sons and the daughters of Jesus Christ, of the King of Kings, the sons and daughters of God. That's who you are. Greatness is in your DNA. Greatness is in your DNA. That's good news. It is in your DNA. His blood, you got a blood transfusion the day that you were saved. He took out your sinful DNA and he put in his righteousness. He took out your mediocrity and he put in your greatness. So this is what I want to do. Jesus says, he's getting mad at the Pharisees actually, and he says, you think you can swear by the, uh, by the sacrifice on the altar and not the altar? And he says, it's the altar that makes the sacrifice holy. And I was reading that this morning. I thought, that's what I want to do. And so I just imagine a big altar right here. And if there's not enough space, then stay at your chairs. But make an altar somewhere in your heart. Make your chair if you want to come forward. But I want this to be, I'm all in. I'm laying my life on the altar. And I'm asking that you sanctify and that you consecrate this, this place. I'm ready to treasure your word. I'm ready to just to, to say no more to mediocrity and treasure your word completely. And you can express that in any way, but I want you to express it. And I believe that God's going to release mustard seeds. And I don't even think most of them are going to be new. He's going to remind you of his promises and activate something in this time. He's going to activate. That's been my prayer, is that he activates. So um, we can turn the lights down a little bit, and I'm just going to pray that, that he's going to activate it. And you can come forward as you feel led. So Lord, I pray right now that you activate, that you activate, that you activate faith, God, that you activate faith, God, that you activate that creative faculty that you've put inside your sons and daughters to believe the dreams of God, to believe the mustard seeds that you're speaking, God. I pray that you make us a people of great faith. I pray that when the Son of Man looks upon this congregation, he finds faith in the earth. He sees great faith that will believe on your bare word and nothing else. They won't look to circumstances to tell us what to believe, but we will look to your promises day after day after day after day. You are, you God, that you're going to fulfill promises because you're faithful. You are who you say you are. Your promise is sure. So bless you, Father. I thank you for what you're doing now. I pray that the word of the Lord will speak. I pray that you remind of the promises that you put upon their life, that you reveal promises, God, and that you fan them into flame tonight. In Jesus' mighty name.